1: Happy Wednesday. Hope you all had a happy Halloween. It is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony Gazenza, joined by John Sheeran. And unfortunately, we are not going to be talking about a win for the third consecutive week with the Cincinnati Bengals. They get back to 500, if you want to call it getting back there, based on what we saw <laughs> Halloween. It's not
2: inaccurate. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, good Lord, man. That was pretty much one of the worst types of performances they could have possibly put out there on Halloween John Sheeran how are you bud hopefully you had a good Halloween despite what happened Monday night
2: I did and I decided I wasn't gonna let football ruin the weekend the Bearcats good dropped dropped an unfortunate loss at UCF on Saturday we were already kind of drinking at that point we were gonna go out as uh, in Halloween costumes and everything I'm like I'm not gonna let that ruin it and so my weekend was already fine the Bengals Wow, that was that was a stinker, though. Like, there's no, there's no hiding that.
1: You were a a better and a more emotionally stable man than I am, John Sheeran, because I did not have – and I didn't even have two teams to watch and play and or stomach a potential loss from two teams. I just had to stomach the one from the Bengals, and it was not good. Look, I mean, we, we thought this was maybe going to be a little tougher than usual because of some of the players the Bengals were missing going into this one. Um, but here's, here's what bothers me. And we can talk, you know, as we get, get into, you know, breaking down this loss here, John, one of the things that bothers me the most here about this is number one, you're now 0-3 in the division, which is a steep, steep hill to climb. Albeit the the division is very, you know, jam-packed in terms of records and whatnot, but 0-3 in the division and regardless of what we think about Deshaun Watson and what he's going to look like when he comes back and is the starting quarterback for Cleveland after taking all that time off, this was the game you played the backup quarterback, and this was the game you didn't have Denzel Ward, and this was the game that you kind of felt like this is the one you you, you should have if you're going to split the series, you should have this one. And not only did they not have it, it was a comedy of errors. It was inefficient there were there were problems all over the place
2: comedy there is a good way of putting it to begin that game because you had the first drive negated by a pass that was tipped twice once by Miles Garrett one another time by T Higgins and ended up in the hands of a Cleveland Browns cornerback <laughs> then you had a blocked field goal and then you had Amari Cooper throwing an inter- interception and it was 0-0 at the end of the first quarter and it's like both teams can't get out of their own way in this one and it didn't feel like things were completely out of hand until maybe like the second quarter, the beginning or the middle of the second quarter, I want to say, when the Browns were faced with a third and medium and they max protect against the Bengals pass rush. You only said five, but they drop back Sam Hubbard into coverage and then Amari Cooper gets like one of their biggest completions of the night. At that point, the Browns win probability was about 40 uh, percent. It jumped to 49 percent after that play. A few plays later, Jacoby Brissett was faced with another third and medium. The Bra- the Bengals' four-man pass rush doesn't get home. Mike Hilton allows a back shoulder fade to Mark Cooper, who again converts the first down on that drive. The Browns' win probability pops up to 57%. And then you had the first touchdown of the game, Nick Chubb. Uh, it basically has the quarterback after Brissett motioned out. The Browns tried some trickery there. Browns go for two after the Bengals inexcusably have 12 men on the field for an extra point, which, yeah, that shouldn't happen. Browns go up eight nothing at that point, and yeah, the offense for the Bengals they never really seemed to find any sort of consistency after that first drive, and it's like that interception took a lot of life out of them, and it was already I think tougher than maybe we gave we gave them credit for without Jamar Chase. We saw the limitations of the offense as a whole, even against the Cleveland secondary that doesn't that didn't have their best play- well. Denzel Ward's not playing great this year, but he's still a piece of that defense that that matters, right? So they had a backup playing for him, and their defense has been suspect all year. And the Bengals couldn't stretch the field against them outside of a garbage-time T. Higgins mossing down the sideline. And who knows if T. Higgins would have scored in that opening drive had he he didn't get obviously interfered with and it was a no-call, right? They still got the ball down to, I think, where Higgins got interfered later in that drive after converting another third down or two. So it's not like a completely... Killed that drive at all, but it seemed like the opening game script was all the Bengals could rely on in this game. And just like the in past Browns games, they let the script get away from them. And as soon as they drop down by one or two scores, the Browns pass rush just comes alive. And that's what it did uh, late in the game.
1: A lot of things to be frustrated about and a lot of things I was personally frustrated with in this game, John. And I mean, we're going to we can talk about play calling slash execution and we will in just just a minute. Um, You talked about getting away from the script and part of getting away from the script is in allowing on the front end. There were basically two players that the Bengals could not allow to take over in this game. And I think we all know who they are. (laughs) One on each side of the ball for the Cleveland Browns, Miles Garrett, Nick Chubb and lo and behold, Nick Chubb has yet another 100 yard rushing game, multi-touchdown game against the Cincinnati Bengals. But John, that came after the comedy of errors, and that came after Miles Garrett started to make impact plays in this game. Miles Garrett had the tip that caused the interception at the when the Bengals were moving the ball down the field. Um, you know, so you have you have that situation, and then Miles Garrett ends up with a, with one and a half sacks. That pass defended that led to an interception. I mentioned Nick Chubb's game. These are the two guys. I know you lose guys in this game in injuries. And that was another ancillary effect of this game. That was just horrendous, but you had to know Brissett was going to game manage for the most part. They're maybe going to try some of that trick stuff with Cooper, right. And, and others, but for the most part, you had to have Chubb contained, which the defense largely did for quarter and a half or so when that game was manageable. And you had to disallow miles Garrett to not have an early impact, which he did. And so they both have a major impact. These are the guys you have to key on. And yet the Bengals still allowed them to have their way. And that's ultimately why there is another lopsided loss in this recent history between these two teams.
2: And I think that's the biggest thing when you look at these two teams facing off against each other because it's been said many times how the Browns end up just being a terrible matchup for the Bengals schematically and where their their strengths are compared to the Bengals weaknesses and whatnot. And I I do think there's some weight to that, but the Bengals not having, I guess two of the best players, but more, more recently not having their game breaking offensive weapon and the Browns having their game breaking defensive weapon that ended up. Mattering more than anything else in this game. I don't think the Bengals offensive line played terrible, but like I don't think they played terrible. Period, because most of the line played well. The your interior trio of Volson, Karras, and Kappa, they played phenomenally. Now the competition that they faced weren't as strong as the likes of Jadavian Clowney and Miles Garrett. The problem, man, it's like every time that Miles Garrett plays the Bengals, he gets the absolute worst possible version of Jonah Williams, and obviously that's a terrible matchup for the Bengals because. Williams, for as technically sound as he is, he has physical limitations, and there are no physical limitations that exist with Miles Garrett. But for the first, you know, quarter and a half, Miles Garrett wasn't that much of a factor from a pass rushing standpoint. Obviously, tipping that ball and getting in the interception, that's another part of his impact. But I know that fans wanted a plan against Miles Garrett, and one of those plans is, oh yeah, just chip him, right? He got chipped, and that's how the first sack happened because P chipped him back inside, and that just aided yeah. his spin back to the inside. Yeah. Like, Great yeah. players just make great plays. There's only so much schem- schematically that you can do. At some point, you need to rely on your players just stepping up to the challenge. And every time, specifically with the Browns, but just this season, Jonah Williams has given up eight sacks. And I feel like he's only had maybe 18 bad reps this entire season. When he loses, though, Nick Grayson pointed it's it out. It's disastrous. No, it is it, disastrous. when he loses... It is very loud. It is the it is the decibel level of a metal concert. That's how loud his <laughs> losses are, and that's not sustainable by any means. It's just a weird place with Jonah Williams. I don't think, I don't think it's fair to call him a bad player. But when he loses, bad things typically happen more so than like another offensive lineman who loses maybe more slowly. When he loses, he loses quick, which is not something that you can have at your left tackle, obviously. But Miles Garrett, he's a mismatch versus everyone, right? And when you're down by that much that early in the game, and you're, you're trying to stretch the field as in as many ways as possible, but you can't, it just becomes easier for defenses to, to tee off on you like that. And there's no reason why Miles Garrett shouldn't have success at least a handful of times against Jonah Williams.
1: I want to talk about because uh, you mentioned it a little bit execution and and play calling, and we're going to definitely touch on that. Okay, and and. Uh, execution versus play calling also I mean there's a lot of aspects to that specific topic that we're going to get to but I want to I want to just quickly rehash something you brought up because I don't have an answer for it and that is why is this such an uphill battle for this edition of the Bengals roster against the Cleveland Browns I know Garrett Provides a lot of problems. I know Nick Chubb is an excellent running back and arguably the best in the league. Still, I mean, with or without Jamar Chase, you know, I mean, this is this matchup is unbelievably lopsided, and it just I, I can't I can't get my fingers around why this is so such a lopsided recent history against these two teams. Quite honestly, this was like. This this has turned into the mid two thousands Carson Palmer against the the Browns or you know the the Andy the early Andy Dalton AJ Green where they just kept beating the Browns beating the Browns there would be the occasional loss but I mean it is like they just cannot find a way to beat this team John and I, I would love to hear your assessment on that I mean I know there are individual matchups that don't aren't favorable but it just seems like team coming off a of Super Bowl. This, this Cleveland team didn't seem like world beaters. And every time the Bengals face this team in the last three, four years, the energy level from the Browns is unbelievable. Their backs are against the wall, and there's all that. I, I don't know if it's the bulletin board material that just happens to fall every time this, this game comes around the schedule. But I, it's just – it's got to change. It's got to change.
2: Well, I don't think there's – I don't think that the Bengals weren't motivated in this game. They they hear all the talk. They hear people like us talk about how they just can't beat this iteration of the Browns team. What it comes down to, it's been the same thing, at least for, for me, for the last three years. It doesn't matter who's a the quarterback. They do the same things at from an offensive standpoint, and it just works. Like This is why I think Kevin Stefanski is a better coach than he gets credit for, because if we if we are to determine that Lou Arumo is a good defensive coordinator, he is yet— to have a good day against the Cleveland Browns offense with Baker Mayfield or Jacoby Brissett or Case Keenum for that matter, even though they didn't really play the starters in that game. But Jacoby Brissett entered this game as one of the worst quarterbacks under pressure. The Bengals couldn't pressure him at all. And it was very clear from the start how they were trying to mix up certain blitz packages to get in his face early, and the Browns offense line just handled it with ease. And then they were down one of their best players in Wyatt Teller, but other than that, all their offensive linemen played outstanding. They they would not allow Brissett to get touched up until I guess that one zero blitz and late in the second quarter worked, where Von Bell just kind of screamed up the middle. Brissett was clean for most of the game, and it, from a schematic standpoint, from a play structure standpoint, it didn't look anything different than what Baker Mayfield was doing to them, you know, in, the, in years past. Brissett was just doing these misdirection play actions with these deep crossers, and guys were just finding open vacancies down the field because you have so much, again, crossing and mesh concepts and and misdirection in the, in the box where your pass rush is getting stifled from the beginning because you're so worried about Nick Chubb, you know, you know, finding that hole towards the outside and cutting it back. And you have a lot of miscommunication in your defense in general, and guys are just finding vacancies down the field and it doesn't take a great quarterback to just take advantage of that when he has clean pocket after clean pocket after clean pocket Brissett was almost picture perfect in this game. He barely had any incompletions because there was just nothing to really trouble or, or challenge him either down the field coverage wise, or no one really ever got into his face. So for as much as people want to, you know, malign the Bengals offensive line, I think the defensive line played the worst game in this one. They they just couldn't get to Brissett at all. And that is been the key to just negating the Browns offense so far. Like, make Brissett have to make those tough passes with guys in his face. And he was just clean the entire game because what the Browns do offensively against the Spangles defense, it just works. It doesn't really matter who's on the field.
1: A big thanks to Bruce Gaines in the live YouTube chat for the super chat donation there. That's going to go help out the Pollock family foundation, uh, www.give slash Pollock family foundation. If you want to give directly or our YouTube super chats for just a little while longer are going to go to the Pollock Family Foundation. They do a lot of great work in the the Greater Atlanta area, Children's Hospital of Atlanta, and the community there. And they are looking to branch out more nationally, and uh, we are trying to help them do that. So thank you, Bruce, for that. And he is echoing the sentiment about other teams that are arguably not as good as the Bengals still managed to beat the Browns. Why, John? You answered that pretty astutely. So let's let's move on to the the coaching play calling execution thing because there is always a yin and yang thing here right you can have the best script in the world but if your team is not mentally prepared if their approach isn't isn't ready uh isn't proper properly aligned and or you don't have the talent on the roster then the best game script or their game plan is not going to do you any good however also Players have to buy into the game plan. They have to, right? I mean, so that they get mentally prepared by seeing the game plan, knowing it, being taught the basics, et cetera. Then they can execute, right? So there's this whole chicken or the egg thing. Here's my thing with this, John. And I know there are a lot of people saying, you know, and rightfully so, we'll talk more Mixon later. But, you know, critical of Mixon this year, um, you had Chris Evans flash on the very first drive, big play. That's where a little bit of my of my play calling issue comes from in this game. You mentioned the Cleveland struggles on defense; they are not very good against the run. Um, Joe Mixon had eight carries, and if you didn't want Joe Mixon in there because of pass protection, et cetera, et cetera, uh, then why not use Chris Evans more? He showed electricity on the edge in a, in a you know with a great catch down the sideline. I understand the Bengals were down by a lot later in the game, causing them to not run the ball as much when the game was very manageable, I I just feel like no Jamar Chase, bad Cleveland defense. It feels like this was a game that you maybe wanted to try a little bit more balance. And that's where my play calling issue a little bit comes from in this one. But again, the the matchups or what have you, for some reason, this game is in, it seemingly is in the players' heads because they do not execute well against this Browns team.
2: I think... If we're to look at this game compared to the Falcons game in terms of what they had to do, I I don't disagree with their plan out of the gate. And for the most part, it worked like out of the gate when that first drive, they converted Mm -hmm. third downs, like they were moving the ball without Jamar chase on the field. Mixon didn't really get any rushes early in the game. He got some passes out of the backfield. That was almost like their extension of the run game. they were trying to spread the Cleveland defense out to maybe then go back inside. It had things, gone accordingly but that didn't work out because it got stalled out by the turnover and then pass protection issues kind of followed suit and your pass protection like we've talked about this so many times when the Bengals were not as good as they as they currently are like when you're down by a score multiple scores guys like Miles Garrett are just going to tee off on you because they know that you're not going to run the ball in that situation so when the Bengals come out of the gate in a similar script to when they you know they came out against the Saints and the Falcons and when they had those varying levels of success. Like I don't disagree with going away from that because you have to do the same things with the Browns as you did with the Falcons. You get them, you get them out of their game script and then you maybe change the game in itself. So I think when it comes to this plan and whatnot, I I was a little confused as to their plan with T Higgins. It felt like they didn't really get him involved as much. It didn't feel like he was really playing his best in this game in general. He got a lot of Greg Newsom who played pretty well, but I think this is an opportunity for T Higgins to just kind of be fully utilized as that true X and do all the things that Jamar Chase typically does well. And I don't think that you can just say that, oh, just because Higgins doesn't run as fast as Chase doesn't mean he can't stretch the field. I feel like that's not giving him enough credit. So I feel like there needs to be a little bit more freedom with how they get Higgins involved. And that in turn, like having that true X out there, it opens up the middle of the field for Tyler Boyd and one neither two are happening it really 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 restricts the offense for what they can do and there were just a lot of times in this game where the browns secondary didn't really have that much to worry about because routes either weren't going past the sticks or all routes were going past the sticks and you had burrow kind of you know fearing for his life in the pocket there towards the end of the game so nothing was really working in the passing game after that first drive as far as chris evans goes man i'm 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 kind of done talking about it to be honest with you because we don't have the answers the the Media tried to ask Zach Taylor about it today, and he basically he gave him like yeah, he's, 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 he's got yeah. a, he's got a role and that's what it is like at this point, like no one knows I don't know what the dynamic is, but we don't know we don't have the answers. I feel like it's just it's kind of mood at this point
1: well uh yeah I mean I, the the play calling for me has been something that uh it, I think it's overblown, but I think there are instances when you use hindsight, you know you can say. What, what what happened here and to me I just feel like with with some of the the injuries um I, I do agree with you that early on I think that the script was was right it's just Garrett made a, an excellent play that ended up derailing that drive to start the game and I think I do think honestly looking back at it I do think that if the Bengals did score some points got an early lead say from that initial drive maybe we would have saw more mixing right I mean I think I think that might have been the game plan a little more carry sprinkled in there but Um, that's, uh, you know, it's, it's up for debate here. Um, apparently, uh, we've, we had a couple of different things come up in the live chat. Uh, one of which from Carol pointing out that I'm not a Bengals fan It's shown for the past nine months. So, okay. Uh, you take that for what you will, but thank you, Carol, for watching anyway. Uh, and then we have a great, uh, super chat from Mr. Whisper. Uh, super chat there, great donation to the Pollock Family Foundation. Is it time to start talking about Pollock? This is going to lead nicely into our believe it or not segment in just a minute. But is it time to start talking about Pollock? Hate to say it, but a lot of complaints from the Dallas fans about him were that he was a player's coach and great at installing a system, but is not great at technique or teaching technique. Thoughts? Um, I, I don't know. The the, the I, I know Mixon seemed to really like pollock's return when he came back but uh you know I, there, there are questions about this offensive line that still linger but like you said i think i think the interior of the line have has has solidified itself based on the acquisitions and new players in there
2: you have a fourth round rookie in Cordell Volson who is playing like the best rookie guard in the nfl right now over the past four weeks in terms of pff grade just in terms of just like just watching play like he's playing really well right now that's been the biggest challenge for this entire coaching staff specifically on the offensive line like getting that guy up to speed and he's gotten up to speed you have Ted Karras Knox Kappa playing the best football of their careers you have Jonah Williams giving up sacks you have Lael Collins battling through both a back injury and now an ankle yep. injury and he's not a hundred percent but he's still you know somewhat getting the job done I don't think this is a coaching issue to be quite honest and I think if it was we would see more miscommunications within the offensive line but they right now are doing the best I've ever seen them at passing off stunts and just working as a unit. Together. They are. Yeah, there's a lot of individual losses that you can point mostly on Williams because he has given up the eight sacks. I don't think this is necessarily a coaching issue.
1: I, I, I'm i in large part in agreement with you. I do think the other thing, you know, I pointed out in the post game show that, um, you know, Jonah, had a pretty bad knee injury a few weeks ago. Yeah, he's got dislocated uh, oddly enough,
2: knee. We, we forget I, about it.
1: I mean, so oddly, he dislocated his kneecap reportedly and sprained a ligament in his knee at the same time. Oddly enough, the Ravens game was one of his best PFF scores that he's had on the season. So, I mean, take that for what you will. But, uh, I mean, uh, yeah.
3: Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. V-A-N-29.com.
1: So it's, it's improved. It is improving, but John, the big question now, because a lot of people apparently want us to move on from talking about this loss. uh, The big question now is where are the Bengals at this point in time in terms of, you know, we, we knew what they, what they did last year. And now this year, the expectations are higher. So where, where are we at with the Bengals so far this year? And that's going to be the topic of our, believe it or not. So what we what we want to ask is the Bengals are either on pace or they are potentially maybe even better than last year's team is that the kind of the, the question i think a lot of people are questioning that premise at this point in time and there are a lot of things that point to they're the same team there are a lot of things that point to they're a worse team there are a lot of things that point to maybe they are a better team and they're just it, they're just not there yet here's the bottom line john the the Bengals are a they still remain a wildly inconsistent team. Um, they were wildly inconsistent last year. They would blow teams out. They would have inexplicable losses. And then they got hot at the end of the year. And they they went on that run. This year, again, you had inexplicable losses to start the season that seemed like very winnable games. You had a performance this week despite the bad matchup between the two rosters, whatever you want to think of that. The Bengals had kind of an inexplicable performance on on Monday night, but they were winners of, what, four of their last five going into this one. So they remain a wildly inconsistent team. I'm going to pull up a couple of different things, and I I do want to get, obviously, your take on this as well. But let's – I'm going to bring up something with uh, not only – it's Joe Mixon's stats, but it's not only Joe Mixon's stats. It also shows – something about and, and we're going to focus on this right now as opposed to um we're going to focus on the wins losses so you look here the the Bengals' bye week was in between november 7th of last year and november 21st last year and going into the by the way big loss to cleveland right there on november 7th uh six 41 to 16 on that one um you look here the Bengals were one, two, three, four, five and four going into the bye week. They have a winnable game in front of them this week. They don't want to overlook the opponent, but with a win, they are they would be potentially five and four going into the bye week. We'll talk more mixing in just a second, but with that premise, John, if the Bengals were to win this weekend, they would be right where they were last year with the back half of the schedule to their to their taking. Um, and as we have shared On this program, we know there's a lot of I don't know if mediocre is the right word, but you've got a lot of wildly other uh, other wildly inconsistent teams in the league right now. So I don't know, just your first impressions of the premise of this team is right where they were at last year. um, And it's really just the altered expectations based on the Super Bowl appearance that is making fans get a little knee jerk reactionary right now.
2: I think there's just more that goes into it than that. Than what it looks like on the surface, like I, I think about three things. Last year, at this at this specific time, you had Jamar Chase kind of cooling down from his performance in Baltimore. Teams were kind of playing over the top of him. There was a struggle of how to get him more involved and more productive. You had an offensive line that was still not playing very well. They would eventually suffer some injuries, so it was the offensive line progressively getting a little bit a little bit worse. They are just never really finding that upwards trajectory. But you had the Bengals defense. Coming off of that embarrassing Jets loss, that embarrassing Browns loss, that really settled down and started playing its best football. I feel like you have some things kind of going in the opposite direction now. You have an offensive line that I still think is fairly solid. Like, it's miles better than what it was last year. Be damned what you think about the sack numbers. Unfortunately, Joe Burrow's involved with a lot of the sack numbers. Joe Burrow, just real quick, in this game, 40 dropbacks. 30 of them were clean. So in the 10 pressure dropbacks, he took five sacks. 50% is not going to get it done, and most of that is, unfortunately, on the quarterback. Now, I'm not blaming him for all the sacks, but in the games where the Bengals win, he doesn't take 50% of his pressure dropbacks as sacks. So, just something to keep in mind with that. And with the defense, though, this is my biggest concern, because I don't think that the Owousie injury is... Is recoverable. Is that even a word? Is it's not something that they can just like brush to the side and say, yeah, we can play mm-hmm. around it. Like they could fortunately do that to extend with DJ Reader. woozy is on an island out there and he's been such an asset in that role. And they have no one remotely close that can fill it. They weren't gonna find it in the trade deadline. They're not gonna find it on the waiver wire. There is no one available to them that could replace should have been a woozier. And I really do worry about how the defense is going to be able to handle the likes of Patrick Mahomes and even Tom Brady and obviously Josh Allen towards the end of the season and Lamar Jackson for one more time without their arguably their most valuable member in the entire secondary. And then you have Jamar Chase who is out for at least a few more weeks, and we have no idea what he's going to look like when he comes back. Like he can return for that Chiefs game in December, but that's coming off of that, that injury, that's not so easy. Like the, the timetable for that is not so like assuring that if you will so i feel like there's more things going against this team entering the bye than they had last year where they were just kind of going through the motions now i don't think after every loss we have to create this think piece like is this team really motivated or do they have enough passion or blah blah blah. sometimes you just get outplayed and sometimes the week yeah. just go, ends up going bad but there were a lot there were a few things in this game and leading up to this game that were really demoralizing that i think have more long-term impacts than what they had last year
1: couple of big differences one pointed out by Michaela Garfield subscriber and uh uh member of our YouTube yeah. channel hello Michaela yes shout out we are where we were last year but no division wins this year doesn't that make a huge difference it does the Bengals were two and one in the division by the time the Bengals hit the hit the bye week last year as opposed to oh and three this year now as I pointed out when we were recapping the game two of those three division games left on the schedule for the Bengals are at home, one is away, but that one away is on primetime and the Bengals haven't won an away primetime game uh since what uh or Monday away Monday night game, right? Uh since yeah. 1990, I think. So, uh you know, that's that doesn't bode well for them. So that is a is a big difference, but you're right. The other big thing is health. Um, they're going to get some guys back. Thankfully, Logan Wilson did come back after kind of that seemed like a tenuous situation, but Lousier hurts. And and that, I don't know if you watched the play where, where he got hurt, John. I mean, it's just a, a simple incompletion and his leg just kind of buckles. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, Oh my gosh, that's how much a season in a player's career can change in an instant on just a, a simple little play where it's kind of, kind of a little bit of a non-contact type of thing. And, it's a shame. It really is a shame, but hopefully the Bengals find some way to make that up. And or Cam Taylor Britt grows up real fast and, uh, you know, they, they get some, get something going there. Uh, Obviously that's the big thing. Here's the other thing that I noticed and data. So, I mean, data tells you some things, but also it it can confuse you. Right. Um, I, I compiled some stats for, and I'm going to end this in a little bit on with, with a specific video clip as well, but I'm going to show you something here. This this is Joe Mixon's 20 uh, 2021 carries here. Now, as we uh, the one thing I want people to focus in on are the bye week. After the bye week, you get the Raiders game, right? 30 carries, 28 carries, then it drops a little bit, 19, 18, 17. But you get the big volume carries coming out of the bye week. At that point, Joe Burrow was throwing interceptions. Uh, Before the bye, he had in one, two, three, four, five games before the bye, he had seven interceptions. Um, So he was turning the ball over quite a bit. And so the Bengals, between some of the things they wanted to alter and just different things on offense, they wanted to get Joe Mixon more carries. He responded well against the Raiders there and then responded, actually both games, had two of his best games of the year. Essentially, there four total touchdowns, two 100-yard performances, stepped up really well in wins against the Raiders and and the Steelers. Um, So last year, through the first uh, eight games, 123 carries. This year, through the first eight games, 129 carries. So the volume is there. Last year, 572 rushing yards and 4.7 yards per carry, though, John. 432 yards, 3.4 yards per carry this year. Uh, through eight games, five touchdowns last year, two touchdowns this year. Uh, Mixon has doubled up reception 17 last year through the first eight games, 34 to this point. So I guess my question is uh, we'll see what happens obviously this week against um, against Carolina, but do you, do you foresee the Bengals potentially with the chase injury, with the defensive injuries, with, you know, kind of getting shellacked a little bit this, this last week, do you foresee a similar situation where they go, hey, let's go back to the well a little bit and do what we did last year, fix, try and work on things during the bye week, run game, get, mix and write, And we're going to see these kind of high volume carries the first couple of games out of the gate to kind of steady things out if they're able to do that. Or do, is this again, I, I look at it and I go the yards per carry and whatnot are just aren't there as opposed, as opposed to last season. So I don't know if they're going to do that.
2: Yeah, man, it's even more than the yards per carry. Like it's been, I mean, this has been harped on a lot. Like his inability to generate yards after contact is just, I mean, it's pathetic over talking about like a $12 million per year running back. Like he's just not, he's not been valuable on his own. Like when the entirety of a running back's value is determined by the blocking that he gets, then he is by definition just replaceable. Like if Mixon doesn't provide any surplus of value with the ball in his hands for what he personally can do, if the scheme has to be tailored perfectly to what he's best at, like that 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 tells you unfortunately a lot about the current state of that running back and the fact that he's in his sixth year now with so many carries under the hood. I think with this plan though It comes down to how the Bengals defense can keep them in games. I think with those games last year against the Raiders, against the Steelers, their defense played really well. Like it was the shell of Ben Roethlisberger at home. It was you know Derek Carr and the Raiders making some mistakes. Like there weren't any moments in those games where it felt out of hand at all. Like they they dominated the the Raiders, if if you will. Like they didn't really play like twenty points better against the Raiders, but they were always in that game in these upcoming games against the Panthers and then the Steelers Monday night, you have potential situations like that. We could talk more about the Panthers later because they're the next opponent, but like the Steelers, no one should be worried about getting blown out by the Steelers at this point, knock on wood. So that's a game where you could see them maybe committing more to it and trying to reestablish some type of identity, identity there because they can't get the same efficiency in the passing game. But if you're in a situation where if you can't rely on your defense and you and you you need to score points at a quicker rate because your secondary is getting exposed without your best cornerback, then the situation, unfortunately, gets reverted back and they're not going to hesitate in going that route if that's the case. So I think it does depend on how their defense kind of responds to some of these things that they're dealing with. And if they can play up to their level, even without uh, Wuzier, then maybe we'll see that.
1: Sounds like potentially you and I uh, of the sentiment, the Bengals are on track, You know, just the overarching sentiment. The Bengals are on track from where they were last year because if they beat the Panthers, they'll be 5-4 and four at the bye at the same exact point in the season, and they could go on a run. It sounds like we believe some semblance of that, but not all of it because of the injuries, right? Because of some of the things we have seen these past couple of weeks. Uh, some, some you know nicks in the armor, so to speak. And then, of course, the, the disparity of performance in the run game. Uh, particularly by mixing. But so there, are, I, I think we believe some aspects because of the key players and whatnot, and they will get some of these guys back healthy, but other injuries and whatnot makes us not believe that I will say this. I'm going to share a couple. Did you go ahead? Go ahead. Uh, I
2: just, just want to say real quick, like think about the last week, man, like we recorded before uh, Chase's hip injury was as serious as it was reported. Life came at them so fast. Like just think, just think about it. Like Jamar Chase wasn't going to be out for a few weeks. That they, they still had a woozy. Aid. Like the whole perception of this season changed in like a five day span. It's just crazy. It be.
1: really did. It really did. Yeah. Um. And I, you know, we when we talked to Trey Wingo, uh, we did we didn't have that injury to talk about with the lines and all that kind of stuff going forward. So that that provides an interesting situation. I did share this on the uh, the the after aftermath show, Bengal gym, giving us a little bit of positivity, you know, five, and, you know, through eight weeks, there were five and three last year, five and four at the buy as we mentioned four and four. So giving us a little positivity. We love that. And John, I, I shared this for some, maybe not everybody heard it, but uh, I'm going to share a video. I was in on a, um, a zoom media call with uh, some of the, some of the folks from Thursday night football. And I specifically asked Ryan Fitzpatrick and Andrew Whitworth uh, their thoughts on the struggles of the Bengals and the Rams, the two Super Bowl teams, and both those guys obviously played for both teams, so I thought they would kind of bring a different perspective. Here's um, here is Ryan Fitzpatrick, Is he primarily focused on the Bengals. Whitworth focused on the Rams part of the question, but um, again, showing a little bit of optimism. Here's Ryan Fitzpatrick, former Bengals quarterback, now with uh, thir- and former quarterback of like 28 teams, honestly. <laughs> um, here he is. Talking about the, the Bengals and their outlook here. So, this will be just uh, about a minute and a half or so. I'll talk more about the Bengals maybe then you can talk about both if you want. But it's just, you know, it's puzzling. We think all of a sudden they figured it out. I know Jamar Chase gets hurt, but then we see the performance last night, you know, where it finally felt like this offense is back to clicking and doing their thing. And I, I still don't have a lot of concerns in that department in terms of them making the playoffs uh, and potentially putting together a run but you know, when Jamar comes back there are three receivers and Joe Mixon combined with Joe Burrow um, it's, a, it's, it's an unbelievable combination, that talent that being said, it's a very small window now um, of them being able to do this because they're going to lose T. Higgins in another year they're going to have to pay Joe, you're going to start to see you know, quarterback not on his rookie deal, things start to fall apart a little bit. So this is a small window with all the talent they have to be able to take advantage of
0: it. Um, it, It's just Cleveland seems to have had their number. I mean, for
1: whatever reason, Burroughs never beat them. You know, I think one and seven in the last eight, they just seem to have the right formula to beat Cincy. But I I still like them. Uh, I still like Rumo as a D coordinator and the things that he's able to do. And for them being diverse, uh, but it, it just seems like a week-to-week proposition with them. So you can see there, uh, still optimistic. A guy who knows a thing or two about the league, and obviously has a has a little bit of a pulse on the Bengals there, John. But uh, didn't reference some of the injuries we have referenced. But again, you know, he's kind of saying the tent poles are there between coaching, star players, etc. He feels like it's a pretty good um, a pretty good, uh, you know outlook for the Bengals going forward and again referencing how the Bengals went on a late run last year towards the back end of the season beating some some powerhouse teams and then obviously going on their run in, in the playoffs.
2: Yeah, man, like smarter men than me, smarter people than me have said that players make the scheme. And when you don't have those players that are the bedrock, bedrock of what you do best, like it makes things difficult. And I know that that sentiment is going to put Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan and even Anna Ruma more under the spotlight for getting the most out of this current roster, despite the ailments that they currently have. But it, sometimes it really just isn't that simple. Sometimes you really do need those players to do those similar responsibilities. Like with Taylor Britt coming in for... for he was playing for Apple originally, but then Woozie went out and then it was Trey Flowers and, and came Taylor Britt. And I don't think Taylor Britt is necessarily a struggling man-to-man cover cornerback. I think he's actually fine there. But there were moments in this game where you had plays down the field kind of break apart for the Bengals' defense because you didn't have that specific communication between Awuzie and Bates. There was one example where you had both players carrying the same vertical route, and then you had a deep cross to kind of open up down the right side of the field, and there was another explosive play for the, for the Browns' offense. It's moments like that where it's like Taylor Briss not – it doesn't look like he's doing the wrong thing, but it's the reps that he's not getting compared to Woozie And that's just one example, right? Like, even without Jamar Chase, you have Mike Thomas. He's not even close to being capable of doing the thing, same things as Jamar Chase. is, And neither is Trent Irwin, neither is Trent Taylor. There's no one out there that they can have just to replace Jamar Chase. And yes, Higgins and Boyd are talented on their own, but so much of what they can do is... Is predicated off of just Chase's presence, and it's not taking away anything, but it's just, it just makes their life so much easier. So it takes everyone from players and coaches to just completely max out their overall abilities to just get the same results, and it really does take a toll on your team as, as in general.
1: Well, I tell you what, John, the loss and a primetime loss and embarrassing loss by the Bengals really brings out the positive polys in the the live chats. There, a lot of a lot of people saying, um, I don't know. A lot of different stuff uh i don't even want to pin a lot of it but whatever if you like the show <laughs> you can get it on a number of different platforms including itunes stitcher spotify google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, radio and all of the others along with other great shows on the cincy jungle podcast channel including uh coach speak and chalk talk for matt minnick and talking football with bengal Jim and friends all part of the network and of course if you like what we do You can subscribe to our YouTube channel right there down below that SB Nation logo, and uh, you can click that, subscribe, click the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available, and all of that, and we appreciate the support despite some of the negativity we are seeing tonight, and I suppose it should be, uh, it should have been expected, some of the negativity based on some of the stuff there, but hey, we're going to still do our thing, whether you think we're fans or not, whether you...
3: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and member FDSE.
1: John, let's move on to the Carolina Panthers. The Bengals host them this week. Simple question based on what the Bengals did last year, where they are right now. Is this one of the, the biggest games of Zach Taylor's coaching career? Um, you heard Ryan Fitzpatrick talk about that window being open and it's weird for me to ask that question because it's an interconference team it's a team that isn't very good at this point in time and it's a team they never really face because they're on the other the other conference there but i kind of feel like based on all of this negativity and all the injuries and all that kind of stuff i kind of feel like this is a really important game
2: i don't know man i mean if they lose they're 4 and 5 and then you'll have people say, oh, well after the bye, they played the Steelers and the Titans and they match up pretty well against those teams. Then they can just be six and five. And then they're one off of seven and four. It's kind of like what we're doing right now, right? They're four and four. They were five and three last year. It's just a little bit later in the season. We did ask this question a lot last year, right? It seemed like every other week was, is this the most important game? I know. We asked career, the question right? a lot. I know. I, know. But I, I, I do get it though. Like if they fall to four and five, like the, their chances of the playoffs, like it, it, we talked about this last week, like their chances of the playoffs right now are incredibly much are incredibly in danger in jeopardy. Like being 0 and 3 in the division basically means you're not going to win the division. You're trying to sneak in as a wild card. They're very grateful that the entire state of the AFC is not as strong as they thought it was going to be. So yeah, like I, I don't think that they're looking at this as like, Oh, we can definitely drop this and they, but they weren't thinking about that last week. Right. And then they got punched in the mouth. So it just depends on how, they can start this game compared to how they started the last game. They can't afford these early game turnovers and they can't afford to let PJ Walker take the top off their defense. Like he did against the Falcons. Yeah, He was impressive last week. Yeah. yeah. PJ Walker can sling it. Like I remember when he played against the Bearcats for temple, like he's not the biggest dude, but he's got an arm that's worth keeping Mm -hmm. around in the NFL. So, This game looks a lot tougher than it did a couple weeks ago when they were struggling with what Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold, and you had no idea who was going to be the quarterback. They were hoping that Darnold came back in time, which is a scary thing to say because he's Sam Darnold, but P.J. Walker has at least made their offense somewhat functional in certain moments. Like That offense in general, since he took over, it's still, I think, second to last in success rate in terms of the passing game, but he's made some big plays. I think he leads the NFL in big-time throws since he took over in Week 6, so he's... Taking the shots down the field, he's averaging like 11 yards, air yards per attempt. And when you're dealing with a banged up secondary in the Bengals, I don't think they can take a lot of chances with this guy. I think if you just stay on top of DJ Moore and the rest of their receivers, and you make Walker have these long, methodical drives down the field, then you're set up to a point where you can at least stay in the at the bare minimum, you can stay in the game. And then it just depends on what your offense is doing. So. This game is very important, obviously, and I, I don't think that anyone at this point can take the Panthers lightly.
1: So it's it's kind of weird because it, both of these teams have a lot of bitterness from the previous week's result, right? The Bengals had just have to have the most sour taste in their mouth based on everything that transpired on Monday night. And then, of course, you have the Panthers, who look like they had that game against the Falcons won about three different times, and they did not. Um, and so they are probably, you know, at this point they are playing for pride and they're trying to get a win for their interim coach and the whole deal. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to me to see what wins out in terms of possible emotion between these two teams here. Uh, Carolina has engaged in a little bit of a fire sale, right? No, got rid of Robbie Anderson and Christian McCaffrey. And, you know, I mean, so they've made some moves to kind of purge the roster a little bit and collect draft picks, but Uh, You know, still, like you said, there are some scary elements to this team, particularly against a banged up Bengals roster. And you put up, uh, I will pin this in the live chats and, and, or, you know, if you go back and read the chats as well. Um, Here is the injury report on CincyJungle.com. You put this up here. Bengals now have even more guys, particularly in the secondary, resting um, this on, as of Wednesday, I don't know how serious they are. It sounds like Hilton resting. That's a finger issue, so I, I would assume maybe he does uh, suit up. Obviously, Owosier out with the with the knee injury. Chase as well. Yeah, the usual rest day for Collins, so he'll probably I, I would assume um, come back. But you do have Flowers, and it's no, it's kind of no surprise that Flowers and Hilton are on the the not did not practice list because John, they, they had really significant roles, uh, particularly flowers pushed into a significant role last week. So um still a lot of important players, not practicing.
2: Yeah. So yeah, Trey flowers, I think leave the game, which is why Dax Hill ended up at mm-hmm. quarterback for like 10 snaps in this game. So that hamstring, I think is like a, a wait and see situation. I don't know if they list him technically day to day, but that might just be the situation. I think, With Mike Hilton, he didn't come out of the game with that finger injury, but today was a walkthrough. Wednesday was a walkthrough, so they weren't practicing anyways, so he might have just gotten the day off regardless. Yeah, obviously, Ouzier, Chase, and Josh Tupo aren't going to play. Tupo's going to miss his third or fourth consecutive game with that calf injury. If he wasn't going to be limited today, I highly doubt that he would be in the plans for the game in general. Eli Apple did say in the locker room that he was feeling good after missing this game. He w- he would have been limited today, along with Stanley Morgan, who I think missed the last two games, I want to say. He missed the Falcons game and the Browns game. So that will give them some more depth at wide receiver. Not necessarily that vertical threat, but some more bodies in general. Sam Hubbard is also dealing with a finger in- injury. I believe he got an x-ray, and I think he came back negative. So he would have practiced full along with Smaji Pirine.
1: Yep. Uh, you see here on the Panthers' side, uh, some other defensive back issues for uh, for them as well. J.C. Horn, Limited, and Dante Jackson, uh, former Bengal and Andy Dalton killer last time these guys played, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. right? Uh, had, what, two or three interceptions in the game. Um, nursing an in- ankle injury did not practice. So, uh, and then you've also got Justin Burris, uh, a safety with a concussion issue. So, they are a little bit Banged up in their own secondary there, Um, so we'll we'll have to see exactly what happens here. But uh, obviously, uh, you know Dante Jackson is a is a good player, and the Bengals really Trey Wingo kind of said it best going into the Browns game when we talked to him. Uh, That is really his advice of the Bengals just need to kind of play up to who they are now. Play up to who they are is now a little bit of a lower bar because of the injuries, but. This is just a game they got to take care of. Uh, I think, I think not to sound overconfident, but I think they need to take this game pretty seriously and uh, hopefully win by a pretty wide margin to start to feel good about things going into the bye week. Um, Whether they do that or not, I'm not sure, but I think that, this is one of those building block games that you you can use going into the bye week. And then you start to continue to get healthier over the next couple of weeks. And then, you know, you get into really the meat part of your schedule, three more division games against each team, uh, each respective team in the AFC North. Then you got the Titans, the chiefs, the bills, all of those in the, in the back half there. So I think this is a game you just have to have, you have to maybe have it at least a little bit convincingly and move into the bye week and start to get healthy
2: you know what, I'm going to play devil's advocate. I'm going to say they need to win close. I I think Hmm. having those games last year against the Raiders, against the Broncos, towards the later part of the season when things weren't exactly going well for them, they were dealing with limitations, and they just had to churn out some wins. We talked about how that was important leading up to the postseason and how in the postseason winning in that style prepared them or at least allowed them to learn on the fly and how to win when things aren't going their way. Things aren't gonna go their way in this game, in the Steelers game, or in any game left to come when they're dealing with these debilitating absences due to injury. They need to do things differently. They need to win differently. And I think the Panthers aren't going to lay... I mean, they're not going to lay down. Like, P.J. Walker, he's playing like a decent quarterback right now. Like, mm-hmm. that's something that they had. Like, they just had Jacoby Brissett drop 134 passer rating on them. They can't take any quarterback lately at this point. D.J. Reader, Or, excuse me, D.J. Moore, he's a really good receiver, too. Like, their offensive line is playing... Well, it's just a matter of how they match up compared to how the Browns match up with them. And that matchup has been the same status quo for four years now. It hasn't changed. It's probably not going to change the next time they play or the next in the next year that they play. I think what bodes well for the Bengals is... The strength of the Panthers' pass rush is within their interior. Derek Brown, who was a former first-round pick, didn't really seem to be painting out that well. He's been playing really well in these past few weeks at defensive tackle. And they have Matt Ioannidis, who's playing decently next to him. He's a good player. In the interior as well. So Brian Burns is on the edge, but he's been their third-best pass rusher in recent weeks when they've kind of had this renaissance ever since they've traded away McCaffrey. And I think that... It does, and like obviously you don't want to face good interior rushers, but that's the strength of the Bengals' offensive line right now. It'll be a test for Alex Kappa, for Ted Karras, and Cordell Volson to match up with those guys. But if they can nullify them to to a certain extent, if they can give Burrow time. Then you might be able to see the fruits of their labor of their labor what they're what they're going to do in the passing game without Jamar Chase. They need to generate some explosive plays somehow. It has to come via T-, T Higgins or Tyler Boyd. Like they've been able to do that with Tyler Boyd. And maybe that has been in part because Jamar Chase is taking away attention, but they need to figure out a way to do that. They need to give Burrow time in the pocket. And I think with the strength of the Bengals offensive line going up against the strength, of the Panthers defensive line that might give them that
1: time. So key player who's, who's who's the biggest key player here in your estimation, I'll give you a kind of a handful of names here, right? Uh, let's, let's presume Eli Apple plays. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, based on injuries, based on past performances, et cetera, and what you think the game plan will be this this week, I'm looking at a few guys. Eli Apple, Jonah Williams, Joe Mixon, or a guy like, uh, you know, maybe maybe a, a Mike Thomas stepping up. What What of those four guys would you say? You know, that's the person that needs to play a top-level game this week in order for the Bengals to get get a win.
2: Yeah, I think anytime Jonah Williams plays well, the offense is a beneficiary off of that. Um, I don't know off the top of my head if Brian Burns rushes from the right or the left side. I'll have to look that up while I'm on this this talking point. But this is an Eli Apple revenge game, actually. he did He did spend some time with the Panthers. I don't think the Panthers fan base hates that's him right. as much as the Saints or the Giants do, but If Eli Apple comes back and plays at least at a decent clip, that would be such a huge boost because, unfortunately, Trey Flowers got burned against Amari Cooper multiple times Mm -hmm. in that game. Dax Hill, I think he's talented, but he just doesn't seem to be ready to play significant snaps in the NFL right now. Even when he's not at wide corner, it just looks like things are going a little bit too fast for him. It doesn't quite look like his preseason self, and that's explainable because he's facing actual starting NFL players right now so Eli Apple with Cam Taylor Britt Taylor Britt's second start hopefully things are slowing down for him just a little bit he can get more practice time as the starter if Eli Apple plays well enough to eliminate big plays with PJ Walker throwing the ball down the field I think they'll have a chance
1: to answer your question about Brian Burns and looking at it per pro football reference uh, I, I have not you know, I don't have his film in front of me at the moment, but uh, he has played both left and right yeah. uh, edge and defensive end spots. I actually seem to – that's jogging my memory a little bit that he kind of moves around a little bit. So um, he will probably see Jonah in some capacity um, and maybe maybe both sides there. We'll see, but uh, definitely a, a force to be reckoned with. And, um, you know, some of those higher athletic guys like Burns um, can ha- have given – jonah fits before you know speed speed around or or you know showing a nice spin move inside what have you so we'll see we'll see how that pans out but uh, we're going to start to close up shop here we talked about some key players we talked about the injuries and everything in this one how do you see this playing out john big big week this sunday for a game that you wouldn't really think would be a big one for the Bengals, but uh here we are four and four and uh they have a chance to get on the, the winning side of things going into the bye week
2: so i never i never really thought of the game after monday night game being coming off of a short week but it technically is true they have one less day to prepare and they had one extra day to prepare for the last game and i think it was at least jesse who posts on twitter kind of right before we recorded that joe burrow is three and one in games coming off of a short week and that's usually just been <clears throat> thursday night games right like going into the thursday night game like he's done well yeah coming off a yeah. short break so this is a, another chance to kind of bolster that record to four and one and they've had success kind of having these quick turnarounds and not every time they've been able to win that previous week I think this team is in a position I mean I, I don't think motivation and like urgency is, is an issue here like they know what's at stake I don't think it's like oh they're going to come out with their you know their hair on fire like the season lies on this game like I don't think that's that's going through their mind. I think they treat most games like that, if not every game like that. Like They always have something to prove. So I don't think it's necessarily that type of thing, but it's just they have one chance before the bye week to get some type of good vibes under their belt. Last game's vibes were just completely off, and we knew that before (laughs) halftime, unfortunately. (laughs) They want to get that taste out of their mouth, and they have one chance to do it before they have to wait two weeks to play the Steelers on Sunday Night Football, their third AFC North road night matchup like I don't think they want to enter that game four and five and I don't think they want to spend two weeks lamenting on two straight losses so that might play into it I don't think they cover the spread at all like the spread's like seven and a half and I just don't I wouldn't bet on the Bengals covering that spread anytime soon but I think the Bengals he got a close one I think they win
1: 22-20 just you you want that close one don't you John you want that close dub I know entertaining I... you know would <laughs> it not it, it, it's quite possible Uh, That is definitely within the DNA of this team. We've seen them eke out and or not eke out close wins and or losses. So, uh, look, uh, I was pretty fired up by a soundbite. And words are words. And when you apply the words on the field, you know, you got to be able to do that. But I was pretty fired up by a quote, I believe it was today, by Ted Karras in the locker room. And it was, I'm not letting anybody sulk. I mean I I'm, I'm paraphrasing but basically we're not going to sulk. I, if I see someone sulking, if I see someone loafing or whatever, I'm going to let him know about it. We're going to get to work and we're going to do things the right way and we're going to right right the ship here based on what happened last week. And the more I hear that guy talk, the more I just think he's awesome. Um, so and he has been arguably the the best lineman they've they've had, mm-hmm. at least the most consistent lineman. This this year. So, look, um, he's he's a leader on this team and in that locker room. And it was I I know it's just kind of player speak in a way, but I felt like it was it was very heartfelt. And I feel like, you know, it it does exude the character of this team. I don't think it'll be pretty based on all the injuries. I don't think it'll be exactly what we want, wherein I'm you know, I'm talking about maybe what the Atlanta game looked like, right? Where you can just kind of cruise and have a lot of points and have a great time, all that kind of stuff. I don't think it's going to be like that. I think it's going to be maybe a little bit closer to what you have there, John. I'll go 24, 24, 20 Bengals. Um, I, I think it will be relatively close. Maybe Carolina pulls it a little closer t- towards the end, but the Bengals end up playing a little keep away at the end and, and kneel it out. But um, I just feel like, like you said, More often than not, some of these you-gotta-have-them games, this team, especially after a loss, they find a way to kind of pull up the bootstraps and do it.
2: They do, and I think it it helps that I don't think the Panthers are that terrible of a matchup for them. I think they have some weak points in their secondary, and like like we said, they don't have necessarily a Miles Garrett to worry about, so it's an opportunity for specifically Jonah Williams to bounce back and rebound, but another chance for the offensive line to continue growing, um, I'm, I'm interested to see if the running game can be more efficient. I, I don't think they should change things up necessarily I think what they were doing before the yeah. Falcons game was working fine and they should continue to build off of that but again we can talk all about the mental stuff and all the intangible stuff at the end of the day it's all about matchups it's all about how your guys line up against theirs. The Bengals I think are still more talented than the Panthers even their most ta- the most talented players on the Panthers aren't as talented as the most talented players in the Bengals. and That wasn't necessarily the case last week with the Browns. So I think the Bengals are able to take care of this one. Uh,
1: Michaela asking, are you going to the, the game Sunday, John?
2: Heck no, I don't got that money. Tickets are nah. like 200 bucks, man.
1: <laughs> all right, all right. Well, Michaela, if you're going, have a good time. Um, all right, you know what time it is, John? Ooh. Quiz time. Quiz time and drop the mic. Again, this is the ultimate Cincinnati Bengals trivia book by ray walker you can go and get that one thing i noticed on the on the front that i was a little disappointed by with mr walker he writes a collection of amazing trivia quizzes and fun facts for diehard bungles fan he put bungles on the front ray there's there's no way there's no way it says it it says it on the front does does he not have an editor on the front page on the front page on the front page but that's okay this is still it's got a lot of good trivia in here so Uh origins and history. We're gonna do one for you and one for the listeners as we usually do, and we'll try and get uh, the listeners some something nice. And yes, the other past winners, we did get your info, and we will we'll be getting stuff out to you here. Chapter one uh let's see, origins and history, numbers game, calling the signals between the tackles, catching the ball, trench warfare, and this is for you, and then you could pick the topic for the others. Trench warfare, no air zone, super bowl shuffle, shining the busts, draft day, let's make a deal, and writing the record book.
2: What about calling the signals? I think that has something to do with quarterbacks. Maybe.
1: Calling the signals? Uh, Yeah. Okay, so let's go there. I will pick a a good one for you here. A really good one for you here. Um,
2: This is the way to kill airtime. I like it.
1: Yep. All right. (laughs) Which of these quarterbacks has at least 10 wins and a winning record as the Bengals' starting quarterback? Virgil Carter, John Kitna, Jeff Blake, or Turk Schonert?
2: Who in God's name is Turk Schonert? Is that a real person?
1: <laughs> it's a real person.
2: Um, I, I, my
1: heart. Virgil, says, Virgil Carter, John Kitna, Jeff Blake, Turk Schonert. Why
2: do I feel like it's Virgil Carter? Like I want my, I, I in my heart, I wanted to be Jeff Blake, but I don't think it is. I think John Kitna was close. Um, you know what? I'm gonna go with the made up person. I'm gonna go with Turk.
1: Oh, yeah, your, your initial gut reaction had it right. It was Virgil Carter. Ah. Yeah, so Kitna Kitna had, you know, the 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 one good O three season, but he was on a lot of teams before that that had yeah. losing records. And Blake kind of the same deal. They were around that seven and nine, eight and eight a couple of times and then got benched, et cetera. Yeah. So um yeah, Virgil Carter has at least ten wins and a winning record as the Bengals' starting quarterback.
2: I thought I saw that in like some
1: database, but like I,
2: I don't know who's who knows who Virgil Carter is.
1: <laughs> All right, so which one for the for the listeners and listeners? Uh, if you win and you want to send us, um, well, send us your address, uh, email it, or hit us up on Twitter, DM, and we can uh, whoever wins, we'll we'll send you a little something for fun. But what I, do you think?
2: I think there was a Super Bowl Shuffle category. That sounds interesting.
1: Uh, there was a Super Bowl shuffle category, so let's do
2: that. Um, There's only two games to go off of, so <laughs> well, and three, yeah. three now, but I don't well, know. Three, wait, but, I, I almost this book written. Is I don't know. That? I gotta,
1: I gotta see at time of publication. It might only be two. Um. <laughs> Damn, so yeah, just... we'll see. Uh. Okay. So this is for the listeners here. Yeah. So by the way, yes, it only it does not account for that because one of the questions just sh- showed the Bengals to Super Bowl blanks so it does not account for the most recent one uh let's see Ooh, this is a good one a difficult one so the diehards got to get this one who recovered the fumble on the opening kickoff to give Cincinnati excellent starting field position in Super Bowl 16 the very first one John Simmons Jim LeClair, Steve Kreider or Brian Hicks who recovered the fumble on the opening kickoff to give Cincinnati excellent starting field position in Super Bowl 16? John Simmons, Jim LeClair, Steve Kreider, Brian Hicks. First, uh, first correct answer. We we'll get we'll get get a little something for you.
2: Was it Hicks? That's what uh, Dave Fraley guessed. Let's see. No. Was it option B? That's what Robert Hall guessed. no (laughs) was it Kreider that's what Mike Holberg guessed
1: no was it Dan Ross that's what RM guessed that's not even an option no what the (laughs) (laughs) okay John Simmons Jim LeClaire Steve Kreider or Brian Hicks so now we got someone many people typing the same
2: answer I'm assuming yes
1: if someone puts in, who wants
2: it who wants it more who's got the better internet connection yeah, come if on
1: someone, if someone just types the letter a they win there
2: are people listening to this after the fact they're screaming there we go there dave, it is
1: dave fraley there you go dave fraley uh there you go the winner that way that's a tough one huh uh john's i i didn't actually know that john simmons is the person who recovered the fumble on the opening kickoff to give cincinnati excellent starting field position and Super Bowl XVI. So, congratulations, Dave. If you want a little something, something, you can email us. Do not put it in the live chat. Uh, email us your address uh, at uh, the OB Insider at G. or you can uh, DM us at Bengals OBI on Twitter if you're on Twitter. And uh, we'll try and send you something nice for uh, winning by the be- most beautiful word in the English language, default. Uh, uh, anyway. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. John, drop the mic and get us out of here, my friend.
2: Oh, man. Uh, drop in the comments if you're putting up your Christmas tree this year. I'm going to continue with this listener engagement. or Right now is what I wanted to say. Before Thanksgiving, I want to see if the comments are pre-Thanksgiving or post-Thanksgiving Christmas tree because I'm actually really curious.
1: Okay. I like it. Uh, pre th- meaning meaning. Do you put your your tree up before or? I'm before saying, are you like the Zach
2: Taylor family? When Zach Taylor comes home from Monday Night Football on Halloween, there's a Christmas tree up in his house. My
1: wife, my wife put one up yesterday last yep. night. Yep, yeah, my my wife put one up last night. Yeah, and I think she had a little bit of urging from my oldest uh, saying, you know, <laughs> do the lights and do all the stuff. So, oh yeah, yeah anyway yes so that's that's where i am and that's where i'll drop the mic uh thanks everybody for participating in trivia thanks for tuning in thanks for all your engagement and continue to get all your news opinions analysis podcasts at cincyjungle.com we thank you for your support as i mentioned you can get this show and the other great ones on the cincy jungle podcast channel on your favorite audio streamer you can also subscribe to the respective youtube channels ours Talking Football with Bengal Jim and Friends, and of course, Matt Minnick's out there as well. So go do that. Thank you, everybody. Appreciate it, John. Thank you. We'll be back to talk more this week on the Bengals, and uh, hopefully they get a win Sunday to turn things around. So we'll see. Thanks, John. See you guys.